0: The valley, there's smoke in the sky, and it'll teach us how to live free, or it'll teach us how to die.
1: good morning good morning with you today fire in the valley a little farmer not so john kicking things off for us on the lone star Outdoor show that one seemed appropriate as there's fire in the valley and smoke in the sky Uh, desperate times watching our great nation burn itself down from within it's truly saddening and that's the only word i can really describe it as it's sad um Watching people beat innocent people in the name of protesting the beating of an innocent person, I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. So I don't have the answers. Um, I guess I'll just leave it with this. Love each other. I think that's the key. Um, With that being said, we've got a great show lined up for you today that has absolutely nothing to do with all of the negative things going on in our world. So you know what to do, pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire, pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up, bold Stanley thermos, because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we're going to dive into the ethics of letting feral hogs lay, something that uh, I'm not shy about saying I've done and will continue to do, but it's not because I want to do it. It's because there's no other option. Uh, When the USDA prohibits you from donating dead wild pork, you know, your hands are tied in some situations. And especially if you are taking out the sheer number of hogs that outfits like Three Curl Outfitters or Heli Hunter are doing. Uh, And so Charles Spiegel of Three Curl and Craig Meyer of Heli Hunter will be here. Lord knows they've tried to come up with solutions Um, They've got ideas as to why the USDA won't allow wild pork to be donated. And I personally just don't get why they keep throwing out the fear of trichinosis or brucellosis as why they won't allow it. Because if you cook pork to an internal temperature of uh, 150 degrees, uh, medium, basically, you kill that stuff anyway. So there's got to be something else in the mix. Um, We'll discuss it with Charles and Craig coming up here. Because make no mistake about it, farmers actually call them regularly and ask them to come help with their feral hog problems. Just These pigs are decimating their crops. So they provide a service, but at the end of the day, millions of pounds of pork are left for the coyotes. And uh, we're going to wade through that interesting and unfortunate situation coming up in a minute and then uh, at the bottom of the hour we'll spend some time with national wild turkey federation biologist annie Farrell. Uh, i've got a lot of questions regarding turkey predation nest predation what critters are responsible for the majority of that and uh and annie has uh, some interesting stuff to share Also, we'll get into the life cycle of a mature tom. How long do they live on average? What is the biggest threat from a uh, predation standpoint? And uh, what about nesting success ratio? Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but Annie informed me that it is a lot lower than I anticipated, like a lot. Uh, It's a wonder that these birds come back every year. Uh, Ground nesting critters really... Uh, struggle, and turkeys are no exception. And then also, how does the NWTF work hand-in-hand with state wildlife agencies? Do they partner up, and if so, on uh, what kind of projects? So, cool stuff coming up with Annie as we discuss uh, possibly my second favorite animal to hunt after elk. Uh, Just love anything that you can talk to during their breeding season and, and try to trick them into coming within shotgun or bow range. It's, uh, why I love elk hunting so much. So that's, what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Let's do a, uh, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Lone Star Outdoor Show. Uh, no, actually I totally forgot. I've got a pair of Walkers Razor Pro digital low profile earmuffs. Uh, these are what I wear anytime I'm out shooting and, uh, they retail for 99.99. So uh, pretty sick little prize from walkers just uh, email the word let's just do second amendment just email second amendment to lone star Outdoors Show at gmail.com and you are entered into the walkers razor pro earmuff giveaway let's take a break coming up next i'm joined by charles spiegel of three curl outfitters and craig meyer of heli hunter right here on the Lone Star Outdoor show.
2: But I learned more on the freight docks, dropping forklifts on the 3 o'clock AM shift in the wintertime, man, it got cold. Selling guitars on the West Coast, going hungry, chasing ghosts around and around, we
0: Till looks give out I ain't lying I'm all yours You're all mine There ain't two ways around it There ain't no trying about
2: it I'm all
1: yours You're all mine One of my favorites from Tyler Childers Bringing us back on the Lone Star outdoor show All yours Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for dropping by today. I do appreciate it, as we are about to talk feral hogs and specifically what to do with those sons of guns once they're dead. <laughs> it's uh, it's quite a rabbit hole, to be frank. Uh, one that everyone has an opinion on, uh, but luckily, Texas Parks and Wildlife classifies feral hogs as a pest. Essentially. An invasive species, no closed season, no bag limits or specified hunting hours. And actually, Texas Parks and Wildlife is uh, researching the use of a sodium nitrite poison feed as we speak. And they have been for some time. uh, Implementing the delivery to only feral hogs, meaning making sure it doesn't get into the rest of the food chain, is the main hang-up in that research. But anyway... um, Yeah, if you've left a a feral hog lay, I don't uh, have any qualms about that. Now, that being said, let me assure you that, man, I do love to eat them, and if they're the right size and the circumstances line up, I'll keep them, absolutely. So it would make sense to donate them, right? Uh, Well, unfortunately, that's not a legal option, and we're going to get into that momentarily with a couple good friends of mine. Uh, However... Before we do that, this segment is brought to you by, well, the place where I shoot most of my hogs is often All Seasons 600-pound uh, stand and fill. They are American-made right here in Texas, so support American-made products and a family-owned operation over at All Seasons Feeders. You can find their entire lineup of feeders and blinds at allseasonsfeeders.com. Let's go ahead and bring them on right now. Our first guest today, Charles Spiegel of Three Curl Outfitters. And Craig Meyer of Heli Hunter. Thanks for being here, guys.
3: Hey, Cable, how's it going? Good to have you here. Uh, I want to discuss something each of you are very familiar with today, uh, having been in feral hog outfitting for some time now with your respective businesses. Um, this conversation stems from a video I posted recently of a couple decent sized boars that I shot, but seeing that my freezer is full and uh, I've got a couple hogs in there already. I opted to leave them lay and put a camera on them just to document the decomposition process. And like 99% of the comments found the results fascinating. You know, we had coyotes, obviously vultures, a sounder of hogs came in and actually fed on the decaying pig carcasses. Um, But there's always a, a couple folks who get butt hurt that I didn't butcher or donate the hogs. One guy going as far as to start calling me an idiot and a black guy for the hunting community which these comments don't, you know, I don't take them personally. I don't really care. But it got me thinking, uh, wild pork is delicious, but we shoot so many hogs in Texas. I mean, I don't have enough freezer space for it. Donating is another issue. um, And I think that's the core of this uh, discussion today is because donating the meat is not really um, feasible. It's illegal. And we're going to dive into that. But before we do so, Charles... Um, three crow runs a uh, very successful thermal hog hunting operation. What do you tell what do you tell your hunters when they show up as far as if they want to keep the meat or not and and what percentage of them actually do keep it?
4: Sure. and um, we get this question a lot, um, especially when guys uh, coming in the book hunts and traveling from in and out of state because transporting wild uh, pig meat back and forth and um, taking it back to your home or even carcasses runs into some difficulty, but, um, basically we tell all of our clients and customers, once they come in, once they pull that trigger, um, and and they down a hog, that animal is theirs to do what they want to do with. So we'll help them out with any opportunities or any availability that we have in regards to, um, we have cleaning stations provided. We've got walk-in coolers that they can use. We have a local processor, um, Uh, right just right down the street that'll process the meat and package it and ship it to them uh, if they want to do that as well as we've got some local families um, that we donate the meat uh, pigs to and they'll come and pick them up as a whole Um, and then if all else fails um, obviously we're unable to harvest the meat and get it processed or donate the meat before it goes bad then obviously it does give back to um, what we like to say the black condor conservation group um and try to feed as many as we can but in reality is is the pigs are just as much a nuisance as they are alive as they are after um somebody pulls the trigger on them because there are strict regulations in regards to what you can donate um mm-hmm. there are organizations like craig has been involved with uh hogs for the hungry and those kind of things that um have been strictly regulated to where we can't donate the meat to food banks and those kind of things. So it it does make a challenge. Um, I would say a percentage in regards to all the clients that come out and want to take meat um, it's probably 50-50. Yeah. Um, uh, in regards to the guys that actually want to take the meat home with them and uh, they package it up and what gets left behind and what gets donated.
3: Yeah. Well, it, it just like – The idea of, oh, yeah, I should have called this guy that I didn't even know uh, from Facebook and said, hey, do you want this hog? I mean, it's just not feasible. And you're there with your family or you're there with other hunters who want to keep hunting. I mean, it's just, it doesn't make sense um, to think that we have to keep every 200-pound pest that we shoot. Uh, Craig, you guys shoot them from helicopters. Heli hunters is is your business. Um, It's high-volume shooting. What would you say is a good day as far as number of hogs killed?
2: Yeah, you know, our average, uh, you know, it's funny the, the question you ask. I mean, yeah, we get it a lot. Um, but our average day is, you know, 100, 125 pigs. I think our worst day this last season was 70 pigs, and, and our best day was around 300. Wow. Um, and obviously, you know, six or eight guys that, that shoot that many pigs or, you know, not able to eat that many. Um, a lot of times where we shoot them as well as you know, um, if it's really wet, um, you know we can't go in and tear up a, a man's wheat field worse than the pigs were trying to get the pigs out. Yeah, um, it's just not feasible, and with regulations, of course, uh, what we can what we can do with the meat, you know, it's just not a lot of options. Uh, you know, we've had had to have this discussion a lot, and and some people understand, and some people don't. The people that don't aren't going to anyway. But you know, we were based on, and and Charles is business as well uh in our area of
3: texas uh
2: you know with these farmers trying to grow corn our business are really were founded uh, out of necessity yeah so it's it's you know it's about eradication uh, especially out of a helicopter um it, it is fun i'm not gonna get you wrong it's the easiest thing i've ever sold
3: yeah
2: <laughs> last but you know yes we we have to leave a lot of a big play um yeah. I would say a pretty small percentage of our uh, shooters, uh, don't, you know, if they do want to pick, they may pick up one or two or three or four, but they shot 140 that day. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, but i I have the same policy as Charles, you know, uh, if you want them, we'll help you get them. We'll, we'll still dress them for you and skin them. And we'd probably use some of the same people, but, you know, we can, um, uh, you want to skull to the taxidermist or you want to, um, you know, take it to a processor, you know, that's great. I hate to see them wasted. We do have some families, uh, around that I give pigs to every year. But like I said, the, the numbers of pigs, the volume of pigs, we, with the helicopter, you know, we're pretty limited by, it. I don't like to hunt during deer, deer season. I'm a deer hunter. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want somebody buzzing a helicopter over my tree stand when I've been chasing a buck for a couple of weeks. Yep. Um, so out of respect for that, uh, we don't start until late January, uh, but we have, it, we have to wait till the foliage is off of the trees. So at that point when we start in late January and then we're done about mid-March, generally the, the leaves are coming back in and, and it's just not as effective or as efficient. And uh, so we're pretty limited uh, as far as a small window of opportunity of wind and helicopter. So we kill as many pigs as we can, as quickly as we can. Uh, in that window that we have because you know, our farmers have to get their crops up and uh, we have to knock the population down
3: yeah. for a year. Yeah.
2: So uh, with that being said, yeah, we kill large numbers in a short period of time. And it's just really not any option. We, we have had hogs for a cause, and that was great. But I, I guess the way I put it is water always finds a way. Uh, hogs for a cause became more known uh, with uh, advancements in, in uh, traps these days. Uh, people are trapping hogs, and they got USDA approved, so they won't even take our helicopter shot up pigs anymore. Uh, people trap pigs and, and donate it to them, and you know they can actually you know kill them on the hook, you know, just like a uh, cattle operation.
3: Yeah, but you you, you um, did uh, at one point have, have a like refrigerated trailer that you were trying to pick up all these hogs, right?
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, you know, us not utilizing the meat is really not out of choice. Yeah, um, you know. Ultimately, first thing, our first primor- priority is we have to decline the swine. we have to do- knock the population down. That's our job. Yep. And uh, we, I would love to be able to utilize all of the meat. It's just, it's not possible. It's not feasible.
1: Yeah. Well, USDA has made it impossible. Um, and I don't know, it, it's thinly veiled under the guise of uh, trichinosis and brucellosis. That's the fear that they put out to the public. And i get it there is a safety measure there but if cooked properly you know to medium or or more then you know and i would cook to medium well personally but then those parasites die so it's a non-issue unless you're eating it undercooked uh but for example like i shoot x number of does off of my lease every year from you know from a management standpoint we don't want to be over carrying capacity and I'll donate one of those does usually every fall to hunters for the hungry. I'm happy to pay the twenty-five or thirty-dollar processing fee. It's no big deal. I couldn't do that with feral hogs if I wanted to. And unfortunately, we're gonna have to table this uh, come back because Charles has a lot more insight to add as to other factors concerning the USDA's decision not to allow the donation of wild pork. Uh, so. We will cover that next. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas, and the new Rio Hade Mexican-style lager, Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. We'll be right back with more from our good friends Charles Spiegel of Three Crow Outfitters and Craig Meyer of Helly Hunter on the Lone Star Outdoors show.
2: Healthy streets keep flowing.
1: Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, Online Sales Manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you, we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by Hunters for Hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at CinnamonCreekRanch.com to visit our new online store. That's CinnamonCreekRanch.com. I he said, hey stranger,
0: how it been? Sure it's nice to hear your voice again. Hey stranger, it's
1: Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Hey, stranger, the name of that one from A.J. Gould. Uh, Thank you guys and gals for being here. We've still got our friends Charles Spiegel of Three Curl Outfitters and Craig Meyer of Heli Hunter on the line. We'll jump back into that feral hog discussion momentarily this segment of the show, however, Brought to you by First Light and the Guide Light Short. It's basically what I've been living in this spring, whether that is uh, hitting the crappie hole, uh, filling feeders at the deer lease, shooting at the range, you name it. It's light, breathable, and uh, perfect for warm weather. You can find it as well as First Light's entire lineup at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. Well, picking it back up with uh, Charles Spiegel and Craig Meyer here, and Charles, this is specifically for you because I know that you've done extensive research on why we can't donate feral hog meat. And, uh, you know, you've actually requested to be put on, I think with Dallas County, some kind of notification list where you see all the uh, court documents and stuff and the contracts that are written from the city to, let's just say, uh, domestic pork suppliers.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it just um, a, a contractors that kind of see um, what you can see in the state and uh, the county in regards to uh, different jobs that are being bid and um, throughout state and federal. It, it's how they contractors bid jobs mm-hmm. um, for government jobs. So, um, and, and that's how we got signed up for inquiring about hog control for counties and state and U.S. Fish and Wildlife when they they do those things. and So there is a lot of those um, jobs that you see come across, um, not specifically for feral hogs, but uh, people bidding um, meat for prisons and food pantries and um, those kind of things. And um, those are farms uh, in the Midwest that are pig raisers. And so obviously if you do have a big influx of free pork meat into the market that's going to be fed that you can donate the meat to feed prisons and food banks and those kind of things there are people that are going to be losing um those contracts and those mm-hmm. jobs i'm not saying that's 100 percent directed towards that and that's the cause but um it, it could be one of the reasons why usda has come out and restricted on um, the ability to donate hog meat um uh, I, you i don't know if People really know what the restrictions are in donations of hog meat. So basically, you cannot donate any feral pig meat to anybody unless it runs through a USDA licensed facility and is inspected by a USDA inspector. Yeah. Um, buying stations and stuff throughout Texas, there are ones that are USDA endorsed. And so if you trap some pigs and you take them and you sell them to those buying stations, they can inspect the pigs. And at that point, pigs, feral pigs turn into, um, dog treats. They turn into they'll get shipped to uh, Asia and Taiwan and the Middle East and get converted into wild boar meat and jerky and those kind of things that are uh, sometimes are even shipped back to the United States in different packaging um, because it's a touristy deal. Uh Um, So you can sell the meat to a USDA facility, but if (laughs) me or Craig were to go out and kill 100 pigs and we had 15,000 pounds of uh free feral pig meat and I wanted to donate it to a food pantry, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Um USDA would not require it.
3: They have so, to be alive. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Well it doesn't even have to be alive. I mean even if they were if we went not trap hundred pigs and they were alive and I wanted to donate them directly to them, they couldn't. They would have to be purchased by a USDA facility, then yeah.
3: uh,
4: slaughtered by a USDA facility and inspected and then distributed um somewhere else. hmm
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the issue there. Um, but it, I, they they do it behind this veil of uh, trichinosis and brucellosis, right? I mean, those are both diseases that – or parasites um, – that when pork is cooked correctly, you know, internal temperature of at least 145 degrees, uh, you kill those. So right. not an issue. I mean, if you know how to cook pork. So it, I don't know. It seems – it doesn't make sense because we have all of this meat that's just getting wasted and um, not saying that all of it, they could even take all of it. We kill so many hogs in Texas, uh, but it certainly could help. And I see these guys, they do have a point when they're like, oh, you should have donated it. But the pr- problem is there, you can't, there's nowhere to donate it, uh, getting back to the, the root of the issue. Um, well, if,
2: if I had the opportunity to say that to anybody that, which we call them keyboard cowboys, uh, that you know, people – you know, can think of anything negative to say. They, that's most people don't have anything nice to say. They Don't say anything at all. Mm-hmm. People that have something negative to say, they they want to shout the loudest. But, uh, you know, we've we, we i am kind of like you. I'm, I don't, I don't really bend my ear to it anymore. Uh, but, I I want to say this. We've been doing this since 2009, and we generally kill about 5,000 gigs in a season. We have tried to think of any and every way imaginable to, to utilize, I mean, I hate to waste or anything, mm-hmm. um, but we have tried to think of any way to utilize the meat. I mean, uh, alligator farms, uh, like Charles said, you know, we had a deal with, uh, companies for dog food for a little while. And, um, they, it, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't work out. You know, they, the dog food places can't take them anymore, won't take them anymore. The hogs for a cause, um, You know got usda approved and just don't want our helicopter shot up pigs and people just have to understand that we're not going to get rid of every pig Uh, we're trying to keep them under control and keep them as a, a minor nuisance instead of a devastating force and that's 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 what we're all about uh and you know but but believe me we have i mean i have a list of names every year of people that want pigs and i call them and say hey we're going to be in such and such area bring your truck bring your trailer bring your friends whatever and by the first weekend second weekend uh everybody's freezers that i know that have that have expressed to me that they want a pig is uh and i i, I guess i'm legal i hope i'm legal uh, that's <laughs> the way we handle that. Is i say yeah there's some pigs I, I can help you drag them to the truck but um here's some pigs that's just been shot in the last 20 minutes and Have at it. Yeah, Uh, but we 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 try to think of everything we can to to try to find a home for it, but it's it's just not possible.
3: Well, I mean, like you said, it's you're doing the landowner a a service. Um, Hell, my my the guy that owns my lease, uh, we pretty much have a see a pig shoot on site policy. Um, You know, it's uh, they're destructive and they cost these landowners and farmers. Texas Parks and Wildlife treats them as an invasive for a reason. You know, they view them as pests, and um, obviously that's why there's no limit and no season. So I just uh, yeah. wanted to have you guys on and, and talk a little bit about that. I think it's an interesting issue, the fact that we can't donate them. I think there's, there's certainly work that can be done there uh, by USDA and um, regulations that I think should be changed, to be honest.
4: Yeah, absolutely, and I mean just to add a little bit on there, um, just to kind of put people a little food for thought is between Craig and uh, ourselves, we probably harvest eight thousand pigs a year. So let, let's say you have eight thousand pigs, and the average weight is seventy-five 200 pounds. You're looking at almost a million pounds of pork meat between two outfitters in the state of Texas, and we're simply just trying to regulate the numbers. I mean, there's estimated three million pigs in Texas. Um, Texas Park and Wildlife last estimate is that we're maybe harvesting 40 to 50 percent of the population So um, you're looking at one and a half million pigs that are killed throughout the entire state each year I mean that's 100 million pounds of pork meat
2: yeah <laughs> so,
4: uh, I mean 75 million pounds of pork meat I mean they just don't physically see the scale so not every uh, keyboard cowboy can sit there and say oh well that one pig that you shot, you should have donated and stuff. When, it, when you're looking at the sheer numbers of what we're trying to deal with and um, what we're trying to do, I mean, because w- without us here, I mean, the farmers that we work with, I mean, there would be no corn crops produced in the state of Texas. There would be no soybean or crops produced in the state of Texas because if we weren't here, they wouldn't be able to plant those things. It would be a cotton belt. All we would have is cotton um and that that's the way it would be so um it's you you gotta pick your battles in those regards so i mean the individual can sit there and um get upset that every pig that was shot isn't get clean but i mean we're we're providing industry and we're saving our farmers here in the state and i'll even open it up and our phone number is listed everywhere and it's on your website and stuff if anybody wants to be added to the list where we donate meat, I'm happy to call you and at 2 or 3 in the morning when we get done shooting pigs. And if we've got clients that don't want pigs and y'all want to come pick them up, I'll send you the address and you, you can have them. So uh, <laughs> I have no problem doing that. So There
3: you if, go. If any,
4: of those guys, if any of those guys want some uh, pig meat and they want to be upset about it, then send them my number. Uh, I'll call them uh, when we get
3: done hunting and they can come pick up as much as they want. That sounds like a, a viable solution uh all things considered. Well guys, I, I certainly appreciate the time. Uh Craig, if you want to give your your website, folks can find you or your uh, I don't know what your social media stuff is, but if you want to give that out?
2: Sure, sure. Uh com. Um uh, we're Helly hunter on Facebook as well and uh yeah, you can get a hold of us in that regard and uh want to say with that if, if anybody thinks of a solution <laughs> cuz we've certainly been trying to for 10 years. Yeah. Uh Sure, just let me know. But uh, I'm, the, I'm the same as Charles. Uh, if somebody's wanting me, they're willing to come and, and pick it up. Uh, we, we'll certainly put you on the list and let you know. Uh, we'd like to utilize it. But,
3: uh, but yeah, that, that's out of reach. Perfect. And, Charles,
2: it's? Uh, just 3Curl.com.
3: 3Curl.com. 3Curl. Threecurl. And then uh, three. it is 3Curl Outfitters, I think, on Instagram. And uh, yeah. you've got 3Curl Lease Connection three as curl well.
4: Outfitters on. Yep, absolutely. So we have... Two companies, a property management uh, company uh, where we do recreational and season leases. And then we've got the outfitter where we do guided hunts and thermal and pig hunts as well. So both of those on Facebook as well as Instagram.
3: All right, fellows. Well, hey, uh, thanks for jumping on today. Certainly appreciate it.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it.
3: All right. Take care. Thank you. Have a good
1: one. All right. So there you have it. uh, Current issues with feral hog meat. And trust me. I am in no way saying let's put all the domestic pork ranchers out of business. Uh, Far from it. I mean, we need our local meat producers uh, to function as a country. It just seems like such a shame to see millions and millions of pounds of wild pork go to waste. And, And I'll be totally transparent here and say when I let one lay, there is that little twinge for a second that's like, man, this sucks. But there's... I mean, just no other viable option, especially when you harvest or kill, eradicate the number of pigs that, you know, outfitters do like three curl and heli hunter, um, which again is a necessary service to ag producers. So I don't have the answers. If one of y'all has an idea, like Craig said, please do reach out. It seems like there's gotta be a better way. That segment of the show brought to you by a brand new sponsor, Raccoon Stopper. This is a product that uh, you slip on the legs of a traditional feeder. It's not going to go on like a stand and fill. It's going to be, you know, a four legged feeder or three possibly depending on what model you're running. But if it has metal legs, this is basically like a spike strip that you screw in to the feeder leg. And uh, I've got lots of videos sent to me by the, uh, the founder of the company of raccoons trying to climb up it and they want nothing to do with it so if you're tired of having those masked bandits rob you blind of yellow gold or protein uh, check it out it's the Coon Stopper and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com up next we'll shift gears and talk some turkeys with National Wild Turkey Federation biologist Annie Farrell on the Lone Star Outdoor Show still
2: doing time in a hockey is prison
1: Still doing time, where a man ain't forgiven. British Columbia is world-renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18-inch minimum skulls in the 6 and a half to 7 and a half year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a boon or black bear, once-in-a-lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, they've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com.
2: Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Bears Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Fairs once
1: again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. Left a
0: beer bottle Rattle on my pistol On the seat of my Chevy pickup truck And I'm taking these gravel roads As fast as my truck go. I'm running
2: Like a scared white
1: tail There's one of our greatest living singer-songwriters right there, Chris Knight. Becky's Bible bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Cable Smith here with you. And, man, I'm excited about our next topic of discussion, turkeys. And whether you had a bang-up spring, spent a lot of time social distancing in the turkey woods, or uh, you ate tag soup. Nothing will make the hair on your arm stand up like that first gobble on a spring morning. <laughs> ah, I live for it. Love it. As I know, many of y'all do as well. And we're going to talk turkeys here, uh, all things turkeys, biology, breeding, nesting success, predators, um, everything with NWTF district biologist Annie Farrell here in just a second. But first, this segment is brought to you by Vortex Optics, and if you'd aren't aware their vortex wear lineup is totally revamped they've got all kinds of cool gear swag uh, everything from hoodies to t-shirts to button-up shirts you name it Um, my favorite I mean I still love the vortex t-shirts to be honest with you and they're very creative I just got a new one a new freedom one this past week Um, here's the cool thing go to the vortex website if you find something you like You'll save 20% off your entire order on apparel uh, when you use that promo code LONESTAR20. So take advantage of that. Um, Vortex is the force of optics, by the way. Uh, Let's bring on our next guest. This is her first time on the show, but uh, I'm certainly looking forward to visiting with Annie Farrell, who joins us now from somewhere in the East Texas Piney Woods. Thanks for being here, Annie.
0: Thanks for having me.
3: It is my pleasure. So you are a district biologist with the NWTF. Um, Give us some details on that job description.
0: Yeah, so I cover everything in East Texas, all the way from Mexico up to Texarkana, and then I've uh, been dabbling a little bit in eastern Oklahoma, helping out my coworker who covers West Texas. west West texas and oklahoma Uh Um, but day to day you know i do a lot of habitat projects i do a lot of communication with state agencies federal agencies um in order to get a lot of work done we work very closely with our all of our partners forest service texas parks and wildlife um so day to day consists of a lot of uh, habitat work
3: Mm -hmm. oh that was going to be my next question is how closely did you work with uh, state wildlife agencies like texas parks and wildlife so uh, obviously like east texas where you you're at the um, eastern turkey restocking effort is something that you know they've put a lot of time and energy and money into over the last uh, 25 years or so
0: oh yeah for sure yeah a lot of the work that i do in east texas kind of correlates with our, what Texas Parks and Wildlife is doing with the super stockings of eastern wild turkeys. So mm-hmm. we have several programs that we specifically work in these known turkey areas where we help do burning and, and thinning and all the herbicide treatments, those kind of habitat work, so we can help create the habitat that turkeys need to be successful. So that we work very, very closely with them.
3: And so most of the work that you're doing then is with eastern turkeys?
0: Correct.
3: Yeah, Eastern
0: Turkeys is a huge, huge part of what I do. Um, I technically, you know, cover all the way down to Mexico, which is Rio territory, um, but the majority of my projects and work is centered around the Piney Woods Mm -hmm. um, and helping those Eastern wild turkeys.
3: Yep, I I had a brief stint in the Piney Woods. My first uh, on air radio gig was in Texarkana, so um, very familiar with that part of the state and did a lot of duck hunting out at Lake Wright, Patman. Um, yeah for, for the year i was there love the piney woods
0: it is a beautiful part of the state
3: it is uh I,
0: it reminds me of home
3: <laughs> the one thing i hated about Texas canada was um you had to drive into uh arkansas to buy beer so
0: oh no yeah
3: state line <laughs> well actually the road is called state line and you have to go on the arkansas side of state line to buy beer <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> yeah it was weird but uh We lived there for about a year right after my wife and I got married, but certainly enjoyed our time there. Um, Do you believe that most state agencies intentionally set spring turkey season dates to start after most of the breeding has already occurred?
0: I think that most of the seasons are set based on biology. So Uh they want the toms to be able to breed the hens and the hens to be able to start nesting um, with, so that the dominant toms are not going to be killed during hunting season. So, I mean, a lot of it is based on biology. A lot of it is political as well. Uh, but you know, in Texas, our Eastern season was moved a week later. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was with the intention of helping the turkeys survive and helping, um, or the hens survive, uh, longer and get bred earlier. Um, so I,
4: so I the answer is what, yes. What,
3: I mean in yes, in other yes. words. I I don't think <laughs> a lot of words, yes. I don't think a lot of hunters realize that. And I don't I, mean, I don't have a problem with it. Obviously we want um we want the turkeys to breed successfully so that we can uh, continue to right. enjoy them for years to come. Um but I think a lot of folks just assume, you know, like we obviously hunt white-tailed deer at their most vulnerable time during the rut. Um Right. During the turkey season it's a little different. Uh, so just wanted to get that out there I and
0: mean, reproductive season for turkeys is also the, their most vulnerable, you know, a turkey's going to be out a male turkey is going to be out there strutting and showing off his stuff. He's not really thinking about the predators that could possibly get him. He's thinking about one thing and that's to spread his genes uh, throughout the population. So, I mean, they're very vulnerable at that time too.
3: I mean, I've seen them do some incredibly dumb things because of that. <laughs> you know, one, exactly. for example, we, we were hunting in South Texas this year, and my buddy and I saw a turkey across uh, a pasture. And literally, he watched us put decoys out, and then we snuck into the trees. And it took about 10 minutes for him to come over and check those decoys out and smoked them. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. about right. <laughs>
3: but, but other times, <laughs> I mean, last mine. season I hunted 10 full days and, and never even got into a conversation with one. So um, wow. it all just kind of depends on their mood. Yep. They, uh, they all they are vulnerable for sure. Um, what, what I really want to discuss here moving forward is turkey mortality and predation. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say is the average lifespan of a wild turkey?
0: Um, usually around three to three and a half years so not not a long lifespan.
3: okay. So this year I took my best bird. He had a 12 and a half inch uh, beard, one beard and then a four inch second beard. And he had one and a quarter inch yeah. spurs. And, and this probably varies awesome. on region. And, and this was a Rio. Um, but how old would you say a bird of that quality would be? Would be older than that three and a half year old mark?
0: I would probably guess around three and a half, four years old.
3: Okay. Um, just because it could be even younger,
0: three years old. Um, yeah. yeah, that would be about right. Sounds like he was at his peak and... You know, normally for an adult male gobbler, um, there, his biggest predator is going to be a human taking him during hunting season.
3: Uh-huh. So, do are they like whitetail, where after they've reached their prime, do they start to, like, regress? If a bird made it to five years old, would he... Um, I don't know. I don't know. if his, It seems like his beard isn't going to shrink. I don't know if his spurs would, or, or what what happens. They die of old age at that point, or... I, I'm trying to figure yeah, out like,
0: I mean, <laughs>
3: what happens to I'm these birds. I'm not quite once sure they...
0: what would happen. I don't think that they're going to regress like a, a white-tailed deer would. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I mean, if he's survived that long, he's evaded predators for that long, he's a very smart bird. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's, his spurs are not going to shrink or anything like so that.
3: So is there any way to tell if a bird would made it to, you know, would you be able to look at one and say, oh, this is a five-and-a-half or six-and-a-half-year-old bird if they could live that long i don't know
0: yeah you know i personally would not be able to look at a bird and say that was a five-year-old bird Uh i would know that it was older than say two years old okay um it it does there's not um without knowing how old it was and because it was banded as a poult or something like that um it'd be really hard to tell how old
3: what's the oldest you've seen one of the birds that y'all have worked with make it to in the wild
0: I have heard about a 10-year-old bird. Oh, wow. And the only reason we knew it was 10 was because it was banded. Uh-huh. Um, and, you, and you could look back in the research and figure out what bird that was and when it was banded. Okay. Um, Normally, we don't see any that old, though.
3: Yeah. But so theoretically, I mean, average lifespan, like you said, three, three and a half. But it it wouldn't be out of the norm to take like a five-year-old bird. Right. Okay.
0: Yeah. If if he's smart enough to evade predators for that long, then Mm -hmm. without coming to a human.
3: Yeah. Well, so
0: he could live long.
3: What are the main predators of adult birds other than humans?
0: Um. So the main animals that would kill a turkey would be like a coyote, Mm -hmm. um, bobcat, and owls. Oh wow! Surprisingly enough. So wow! The humans, coyotes, bobcats, and owls are going to be the, the top four for adults.
3: I would not have put an owl on there. I would never have thought that because you think about an adult tom or even a hen. Yeah. It's That's that's as big, if not bigger, than an owl.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They're about the same size. Say like a gray-horned owl. Uh-huh. Um, the, the the thing about owls is that they will take them off of a roost when yeah. turkeys are most most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll come swoop in silent silent predators and just take them right off of the roost.
1: Wow. That is, uh, that's too cool. I never would have guessed to be honest with you. Um, I do think we're going to have to work in a quick break here. Uh, that segment of the show was proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been helping their borrowers, folks like you and I finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. Whether you want a place to hunt, fish, run cattle or just get the hell out of the big city. Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. You can find them at lonestaragcredit.com Up next, uh, we'll actually head to the nest itself see what critters are responsible for the uh, biggest percentage of nest predation as we continue our discussion with NWTF biologist Annie Farrell on the Lone Star Outdoor Show
2: Slam the door Yell that loud Don't roll it in it out, put me down, pull up fight, I can be wrong, you can be
1: right. Hey guys, Cable here to remind you that if you're looking for a handheld thermal monocular, Pulsar's got two great options, the Helion, uh, which was my favorite for a long time, and then the Axiom as well, which is a little more compact, uh, about the size of your cell phone, fits in your pocket. And at 1459.99 dollars has the price tag to match. But still got all the great features you love from Pulsar. And get this. When you use my promo code Pulsar underscore PL, you'll get 20% off your order. That's right. 20% off when you check out at PulsarNV.com. There's some
2: money on the table and a pistol on the floor. Some old paperback books of Louis Lamont. She says, honey, don't worry about judgment. All these people going to heaven, they're just in our way.
1: Hey, it's Carl Drunk in Poet's Dream bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Of course, he co-wrote that one with the great Ray Wiley Hubbard. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate it very much. Uh, We are still talking turkeys with National Wild Turkey Federation District Biologist Annie Farrell. But before we jump back into that conversation, this segment proudly brought to you by Our Luck Outfitters, offering the finest in Newfoundland moose hunting. Uh, I hunted with them this past fall. The cool thing about Newfoundland is they have a ton of moose. I shot a nice bull on the third day of a five-day hunt maybe it was a six-day hunt Uh, but Newfoundland moose hunting isn't gonna cost you your firstborn kid it's uh, I don't want to say a blue-collar moose hunt because the amenities are top-notch the food is great the guides are world-class but it's not like you're paying for a $25,000 Alaskan moose hunt so um, if you're interested if moose is on your bucket list give our luck outfitters a shout And you can find them at Um, ourluckoutfitters.com. That being said, I certainly appreciate Annie Farrell sticking around. And Annie, I want to transition into, you know, with it being springtime, hens are on nests or have already hatched their clutch. Um, What predation actually occurs to the nest itself? You know, obviously we talked about coyotes and owls uh, preying on adult birds. But I imagine a lot of that changes when it comes to the nest. I'm sure coyotes still do their part and uh, other varmints and snakes and uh, maybe even feral hogs. I don't know, but uh, shed some light on who the biggest culprits are there.
0: I, literally anything that could get on a nest would eat the eggs for sure. Um, so anything anywhere from snakes, um, your smaller mammals like raccoons, uh, raptors, owls foxes coyotes um hogs will not necessarily target a nest but if they come across one they'll eat it um they're not usually the primary um nest predator though it'll usually be like a coyote will get a hen off the nest, eat the eggs, and whatever is left over, a hog will find and eat. Mm -hmm. So a lot of folks think that hogs are really affecting turkeys in their nests, but, I mean, they're only going to be there after the nest has already been found, typically.
3: Okay. I've seen multiple videos of, like, trail cameras uh, where coyotes have ambushed the hen while she's on the nest this spring. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that something that occurs pretty frequently?
0: Yeah, I would say that coyotes are probably the worst predator of turkeys um, because they will eat a turkey, an adult turkey, off of a nest and then also eat the eggs. So they're not just going to go in and flush the hen off and -hmm. then eat the eggs. They're going to target the hen and the the eggs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the way that coyotes are, the way that they hunt and forage, um, lends themselves really nicely to interacting with turkeys. They have great eyesight. They have extreme sense of smell and the way that they move, they can cover a lot of ground in a day. Um, so they'll be able to zero in on those nests and that hen very easily and very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll eat the hen and the eggs. So, well, so bad nest predator.
3: You do a lot of habitat work, and, and nesting cover is of you know great significance for this very region to uh, you know, mm-hmm. keep predators from finding uh, the nest. Um, what is the success rate of, of a, a nesting hen. And I'm sure that that varies region, regionally, you know, uh, depending on habitat. But generally speaking, is it 50%? Is it
0: 80%? It's actually lower than that. It's usually only about average 25%.
1: Oh, wow. That's so, a lot lower than yeah, I would have
0: thought. do not have great success um, in, in their nests mm. at all.
1: Okay,
3: that's, <laughs> that's terrible.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: oh, man. So is that, um, and, and there's got to be a, a, some division there of nests that have just been depredated versus where the hen is actually killed as well. I'm sure that right. 75% of the time the hen's not getting killed. Correct.
0: Correct um yeah a lot of times she'll be flushed and her nest will be depredated or the nest fails mm-hmm. or and she'll re-nest um a lot of times the nest will be depredated it's they don't turkeys have a lot going against them
3: yeah well like any ground nesting uh, animal it seems a bird uh it seems that's always the issue
0: absolutely a- well you know they they drop an egg really i mean it's The research shows that there is not a lot of selection that goes into picking a nesting site. Hmm. Um, And and when you look at um, research that's come from, like, Dr. Chamberlain at UGA or Brett Collier at LSU, you'll find that um, they have a lot of turkeys that are GPS, they have GPS transmitters on them, and they're tracking these hens um during nesting season and a lot of times where they decide to nest is not they've never even seen that area before. So a lot of times what we can only infer is that she the hen wakes up one day, flies down off the roost and is like, "Oh, it's time to lay eggs." Hmm. and drops one right where she is. So in an area that she's going to be hanging out, there's probably going to be cover somewhere, but she she needs to lay it on the ground where it's open enough that she can get in and out, but Covered enough that she's hidden from predators, but also that she can still see so i mean it's it's a really tough situation for the for the hen mm-hmm. um, to survive that
3: yeah, fascinating so not a lot of not a lot of thought goes into where I'm gonna lay this egg uh, okay.
0: that's what it seems yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: um what is the n w t f uh what is their stance on predator? management. Um, Yeah, we're never going to wipe these predators off of the face of the earth, and we don't want to. We don't want to do that with any animal, clearly. But I feel like, you know, targeted predator management, like seasonally, would be something that, you know, could help potentially increase that that nesting success.
0: Right. I mean, we're not against it. We support trapping, Uh um, and it's a great another great way to get out into the woods and um, harvest your own whatever you want to harvest um, but trapping is not necessarily going to have a measure any kind of measurable impact on the turkey population um, because the the best way to have some impact on the turkey population is have to have good habitat in the first place um, so if you have improved habitat and you have turkeys then the trapping could be used as part of your toolbox Mm -hmm. um to help turkey populations and their survival Mm -hmm. over time
3: okay well i mean it's great to hear you know from an organization standpoint that you guys are uh definitely support trapping um
0: absolutely there's
3: so many organizations out there these days that just vilify that which is just pure ignorance right um (laughs) and and we have i I
0: know a lot of a lot of my coworkers go out and trap themselves
3: oh perfect i've never
0: done it but i know a lot of people that do
1: well
3: And you think about the role that trapping plays from a conservation standpoint. All those turkeys that Texas Parks and Wildlife is super swamping into East Texas are trapped for somewhere and brought here. Mm -hmm. So while that's not lethal, I mean, trapping is a major conservation tool.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of the birds that we are getting from other states are Um, coming from areas that they don't want the turkeys. A lot of the birds come from airports where they're trying to do damage control and remove wildlife. And if they can trap them and send them to us and keep them alive, we'll take them Um, instead of killing them off of an airport. So we fully support that. Mm
3: -hmm. How many turkeys are currently in the the United States? Do you have any idea?
0: In the United States? Dates. Anywhere between 6 and 7 million is what is estimated.
3: Uh-huh. And I don't remember when it was specifically that they are, I mean, we almost hunted them to extinction. About when was it when we realized, hey, we need to start protecting this, this species so we can bring them back?
0: Yeah, but- early 1900s is when it kind of got down to the lowest point where um, there was just so much... There were hardly any turkeys left, and so 1973 is when NWTF was formed, and that was right around when everyone was starting to realize this is a problem, we need to fix this, and so NWTF came into the game and helped with the trap and transfer, and we did. We were formed based on science, essentially. We wanted to to work with the correct science, and so we did a lot of the trap and transfer and did a lot of research, funded a lot of research. Um, and that's when things kind of started to turn around. So in the late seventies and eighties, um, early nineties is when we really started to see the population explode. Um, and so for, we went from less than a million birds in the country in the sixties to having a, almost 7 million birds by the nineties.
3: Mm. That's a great conservation success story. Um, no doubt about it. It's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So if, uh, Someone wants to get plugged in with the NWTF. Uh, you guys have chapters all over the country. What is the best way for them to, uh, to do that?
0: We do. Yeah, the best way to do that is to go to the NWTF website, nwtf.org, um, and you can click in your area, and you can see who works in your state and in your area. And um, if you want to get involved with a chapter, you can contact the regional director in your state. Um, or if you want to know about the conservation work, you can contact your district biologist. And so there's just a, um, a telephone book basically of all the contact information of the folks that work in your particular state.
3: Right on. Well, I'm going to take uh, one stat away from this. I mean, the whole thing was interesting to me, but the, the thing that I, I had no idea, well, two things really, the, the owl predation aspect and then 25% nest success is a lot lower than I would have thought. So. Uh, Certainly eye-opening, and I absolutely enjoyed the conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really
1: appreciate it. Likewise, there she goes, Annie Farrell, district biologist with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Some interesting stuff there, no doubt, things that I didn't know for sure. Um, That segment, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar, Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. The Pulsar Thermion XP50. It is absolutely incredible. I've got one on my bolt-action 6.5. and I know I give the 6.5 a hard time, but it's a perfect caliber for uh, hogs and coyotes in Texas. And the Thermion lights them up (laughs) like no thermal optic that I've ever used. It's uh, also the most user-friendly. The button functionality and placement... Well, you could just say they nailed it with this unit. You can find the Thermion at PulsarNV.com and... Uh, On the monocular and bino side of things, you can save 20% if you use my promo code LONESTAR underscore PL. Um, All right. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock, we got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to Annie Farrell of the NWTF and Charles Spiegel of Three Crow Outfitters. Craig Meyer of Heli Hunter. Appreciate all of their contributions. We will do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, "Y'all have a great week in the outdoors." Well, there's
0: cool and there's hot
2: and things that come just to stir the pot and words it ain't worth the time they take to say.